0: Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to the Eagle Brook Church Leadership Podcast. My name is John Alexander. I'm here once again with my co-host, Don Grapham. Don, how are you doing? Truly, truly, how are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) That sounds so sincere. Thank you for that. Uh, I'm doing well. I feel like it's kind of been an inadvertent
1: update of COVID every time we get together since we do this once a month. But here we are, you and I and our guest, fully vaccinated, so that means we'll never get sick again. That's what I feel like. We are healthy from now on. I'm so excited
0: about that. Just to I be clear, feel- that's not a true scientific fact. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but that's what I feel. like. I should never even get a cold again, right? That's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. Anyway, but we're here without
0: masks. We're moving forward, and life is feeling good. How about you, John? How are you doing? I'm feeling great. It's baseball season. The sun's out. Yeah. i feeling great. This is a great. This is the prime time in Minnesota. I agree. So Spring is the best. And we're excited uh for wherever you are joining us from because we have a special guest with us he's our first get mm-hmm. this first repeat guest of the Eaglebrook Church Leadership Podcast since our relaunch and he was on our episode called Four Phases of Leadership but this is a special honor if you ask me uh, but it's really a special honor for him, is what yeah. I mean about uh, that. Right. He gets kidding. to be back with us. Yeah. Uh, no, really it is for us because Dale Peterson is a wealth of wisdom. He is, in so many ways, Eagle Brook Church. Um, so we're just really excited, honored that Dale's here. But Dale, why don't you introduce yourself again?
2: Yes, yes. well, I'm Dale Peterson, the executive director of the Eagle Brook Association. i uh, been on the leadership team for 21 years at Eagle Brook. And during that time... I've just seen the challenges that pastors go through as they try to lead the church. Um, and I was reading some, some uh, information from Fuller Institute and George Barna, and it's, it's just shocking that 1,500 pastors leave their ministry every month. And that uh, 83% of clergy spouses want their spouse to leave the ministry. And so that's just so sad to me. And last year, 4,000 churches died. So that breaks my heart and it makes me, uh, it gives me, I think, extra energy to lead the Eagle Brook Association in a way where we can really help churches uh, reach more people for Christ.
0: Yeah, you've done so much to help um, the Big C Church in the Midwest, across the country, even internationally. You've done so much to help Eagle Brook Church. And I just love today's content. You okay. and I have uh, looked through this several times. I've, I've heard you teach it. You teach it on a regular basis, but I thought it's so critical for people who are pastors, who are leaders in the church, just for volunteers, people have a heart for the church, to hear today's content because of the statistics that you just laid out. And so to, today we're gonna be talking about the seven killers of a church, seven killers. Why don't you kick off the first one?
2: Yeah, it was, that's just the observation that there was about seven things that were really difficult uh, for pastors. And if they don't pay attention to it, it will kill you. So the, the first one is when there's no compelling vision. And, uh, I, I just don't know that you're trained in seminary to really create a vision. And I, and I think for us, there's vision and then there's culture. And what we've done at Eagle Brook is combined them Mm -hmm. that, uh, you can't just have a vision statement because that doesn't really motivate people. So it's like, how do you build a culture around the vision that God has given you? Uh, and this is, this is it. If you don't get this one, right, uh, Everything else that you try to do as a pastor probably won't work. Hmm. And the sad thing is pastors think it's clear, but it really isn't clear. Uh, so I always say, well, leading your church is like leading an elephant. And I got that from uh, the Heath brothers from the book Switch. to kind of inspired me, but I elaborate on that and I draw elephants. And, <laughs> and it's like this thing called the church uh, has the potential to really hurt you. And uh, when you start to introduce change or a vision and you're all passionate about it, what you're really doing is you're irritating your church. And uh, you're poking the elephant with a stick or like I say, you start to pull on the trunk. And when you pull on the trunk of a church, you're going to get stepped on. And then uh, I'm not very bright but full of passion. I run to the backside of the elephant And it's like, I'm going to push you to where God wants you to go. And then you just get pooped on. (laughs) And sadly, I think this is what happens is pastors are so sick and tired of the hassle of leading people uh, that they just become a zookeeper. And so they feed their church and they clean up after the church. But the church refuses to follow the vision. And that's the number one reason why pastors quit their ministry. So... We have things like vision culture. Uh, we, we, we really uh, are very careful to go, this is what we believe to our core. These are the values that really are the behaviors of a transformed life or who we are becoming. And then we have purpose and mission. And purpose is why do you exist? But mission is what are you doing? And we just go, the great commission is what we're doing. Jesus gave us the mission. So we're just doing that. Uh, but the purpose really comes down to love. Do I love the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? And then do I love my neighbor? And so if we're motivated by love, we'll go and do the mission. And then, of course, we have strategies that are unique to Eaglebrook. And you got to know if it's working or not, so you set goals. So that's kind of that we build a culture around that. And it really is the way our staff and volunteers, it's just the way they think. They think about that that vision culture.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: That's
1: for sure and you just rattled through our whole vision culture as as if I'm a senior pastor or even a senior leader at an organization and we did the exercise we came up with some vision statement we put it on a wall it's on a plaque somewhere it's in a handbook how do i know if it's really compelling and it's like in the system it's in the fabric of the organization it is here at Eagle Brook i do believe that of course we're a little biased but <laughs> uh, as a senior leader how would i know that my vision is compelling and sticky or it's just
2: a plaque on the wall? Well, the way we used to do it is, you know, I'd toss a marker to somebody and I'd say, hey, Don, go to the whiteboard and show me the vision culture of Eagle Brook Church. And I I had a pastor visiting us for some consulting. And so I asked him to go to my whiteboard, show me your vision. And he started out and then he went blank and he's like, I can't remember what the next thing is. And so if you're the senior leader and you can't remember it, nobody else is remembering it either. So 20 years ago when we first created this vision culture, I think I drew it on a board or a napkin or a pad of paper uh, every day for eight years because I knew it had to be infused into the, the veins of the organization. Right.
1: How many times have you drawn the vision culture? <laughs> I couldn't. Tell <laughs> I mean, I do think this is worth saying because I think a lot of organizations have a vision statement, paragraph, you know, something they wordsmith, but then they just leave it there where I think we're almost ruthless about this Yes, is if somebody applies for a job, they have to listen to a podcast about it. If they come visit us, you know, pursuing a job, they're going to get it Even in their visitation, they're going to get it on the first day if they get the job. And then they're going to get it over and over in different meetings. We'll quiz people on it. We'll expect them to teach it to others. I think that's how a vision becomes compelling and sticky.
2: Yeah. In fact, uh, when we hire someone, their first day, I get an hour and a half with them to cover the vision culture. And then when they've been on staff for six months, I get three hours with them to go over the vision culture again in a more in-depth way. That's good. Anything
1: you want to add, John, or should we go to
2: number two? I, I think we should go to number two. That's okay. Great. All right, Dale, keep us going. What about number two? The second killer is when everything is important. And I always like to say, busy does not equal effective. And our former senior pastor, Bob Merritt, he just, it was a great quote. He said, if you focus on your mission, you'll always have ministry. But if you focus on the ministry, you won't get around to your mission so that has been the heartbeat of Eagle Brook Church forever is we're doing the mission. We're going to reach people. And by the way, when you reach them, now you've got to disciple all these people and grow them up in their faith. So you're always going to have ministry. And so we we are very careful about how many ministry programs we launch and which ones did we need to get rid of. Uh, and we we used this thing called a hedgehog. So that comes from Jim Collins, good to great book. Um But we wrestled down our hedgehog many years ago, and we really said, what do we do best? Relevance. And that's hard because relevance is a moving target. It's whatever was relevant five years ago probably isn't relevant today. So we really try to stay on top of that. But the music has to be relevant. The teaching has to be relevant. The buildings have to be relevant. Um, But then what's our great passion? A transformed life. So transformation. Transformation. And I know our, our ministry team, they're creating <clears throat> real specific steps to help people grow in their faith so that be, they go from being in, someone just exploring Jesus to someone who's Christ-centered. Uh, and then we just say, you got to put the banks on the river because somebody's always coming along wanting you to do something else and you just gotta go, these are the guardrails. These are the banks of the river and we cannot let those banks get eroded because if you do, all of your momentum spills out and it goes stagnant. So our vision culture is the left bank and our hedgehog is the right bank. And so when Bert and Gladys Johnson come to you and they want you to launch another ministry, you go, well, I love you, Gladys, but we just can't do that. (laughs) Uh, because it doesn't quite fit who we are or it's not what we're focused on right
0: now. Mm. This is such a tough one for churches. I'm on a lot of church uh, email lists just to see what they're putting out. And and uh, we aren't perfect but in our communication by any means, but I get some emails from churches that have an email that's five pages long. It's mm. because they have 25 programs they want to highlight. Hey, go to this class, join this group, do this thing, um, go on this retreat, you know, it's just on and on. And then when everything's important, I'm wondering what's like the one thing you want me to do. And I think that's often what our people are asking too. Lives are busy. They've got busy schedules, lots of things to do. And what we're trying to do is really simplify for them. What's the one or two things we want them to do so they can, they can become more like Jesus, grow, grow closer to Christ. And this is a tough one. Drift is crazy difficult to manage. So Dale, what would you say to a pastor, leader, who I mean they have a lot of great staff with a lot of great ideas, and they're pitching these i i mean and you're sitting next to one, Don has a ton of great ideas yes, yes. I love a and good idea he's got, he's got <laughs> great ideas and you know and i i in my day i've had some ideas too, and so I've been told no hundreds of times Don's been told no hundreds of times thousands. But that's because it was ingrained into our culture. Someone like groomed us into that. As I had ideas, and I had all the answers. <laughs> someone would say, no. Oh, that's a great idea, John. No, no, no. And you kind of learn, okay, I, I'm not fitting in. But what would you say to a leader who's trying to implement some of that?
2: Yeah, you, well, because some ideas are good and you should do them. Um, but I, I just, that hedgehog for me is everything. I'm just like, is it really relevant? Will it change a life? And will it create an owner- in the church. And what happens often is it creates ownership, not in the church, but in a ministry program. And uh, we love women and we love men, but those two ministry areas are some of the biggest violators of the hedgehog and they don't do it on purpose. And so you do have to be, you do have to be prepared to have the crucial conversation with the
0: leadership of that ministry program. Okay, time out. Cause let's tell the story while we're here of you putting an end to the women's ministry at Eagle Church many years ago with a lot of great people, but at least tell a brief version of that story. Yeah,
2: I, you know, I get blamed for that, but <laughs> <clears throat> it was a different pastor who was really bringing an end to it. I don't know. And, <laughs> but I happened to be in the room. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, sure, sure. And uh-huh. I, because I'd been okay, around. Okay, at least
0: tell the version of the story that you know. That's well, right. you know, the,
2: the, the push was as we were becoming more as we were gaining more campuses, yep. uh, we couldn't afford to have a women's pastor or a men's pastor at every site. So the the most efficient thing to do is let's move all of these program-type driven ministries and create small groups. So it was our small group pastor who was letting all these women, uh, and I think there was probably 50, 60 female leaders, mm-hmm. very godly women. Um, they loved the church, they, but they they loved what they were doing too. And then to hear from a pastor that we're going to discontinue what you're doing and we're going to move everything into small groups. Um, it then turned into 90 minutes of heated debate. bloodbath. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but my favorite was, you know, they, they went after me. They took their eyes off the group's pastor and now they're staring at me. See, see, it was Dale. There you
0: go. It, was Dale. it goes down to history. And Don, not to keep belaboring this. Because- oh boy. Because I I want to talk about this because um, when things are happening that fall outside of that hedgehog, that vision culture, that conversation of putting it into something is one of the most difficult things a leader has to do. But a leader has to do it. Right. Right. Don, there was something that we ended a couple of years ago that was painful, but it started to fall outside of our mission vision. That was the preschool. Talk about that experience really quickly. Cause you get blamed for that too, just in history. I wasn't <laughs> expecting you to bring that up,
1: but, uh, but yeah, I mean, and it really goes to Dale's, you know, the hedgehog of, you know, is this going to transform a life? Well, yeah, but we have this significant significant size staff that's leading a hundred kids where if we put those resources into the weekend experience, we can reach thousands of kids. And so what's going to have the greatest impact to bring about that kind of transformation? Owners throughout the church, not just in the preschool, which can happen where you just, again, like you're saying, love kind of a sub-ministry and, you know, what's going to be most relevant. And we thought putting the resources to something that's going to reach thousands of kids and help us to get to future sites would be most effective. And, you know, that came at a, Pain point for oh, yeah. sure, and you know to be clear, the the preschool we had was awesome. Yeah, like
0: my kids. Well, so was the women's ministry. Well, yeah, awesome. so I mean, these, these aren't bad things. No, these are great things.
1: And that's the hardest thing is yep. when you put an end to something that's actually really good, maybe even great. Yep. So that you can focus on something else and even have a greater intentionality. Absolutely. Right. That's
0: that's really well said. And 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 two, I I should add. You know, when some of these things are ended, it is done with a ton of compassion and empathy and care and concern. This isn't an easy conversation on any level. The point is, when everything's important, nothing is important. And so re- leaders, organizations have to be ruthless about really focusing our resources on the most important things. Otherwise, it's gonna kill the church as we've talked about. Right. One of the
2: assignments I give a pastor and the leadership team of a church is to go to the whiteboard and write down every single ministry that you have Mm. and then ask yourself, is this really helping us reach people for Christ? Yes. And then circle the ones that you know probably need to go away. Yeah. But then uh, have some wisdom because I canceled adult Sunday school and 400 people left our church. Mm. They were really mad. Mm -hmm. That was a touchy one. But I I call it, use the principle of the Band-Aid. Some of these you can just rip off and others you have to let soak for a while. Mm -hmm. And we had to do that with some of our kids' programming. We let it soak for years before we eventually just faded it away.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. Uh, Because... Something on Wednesday night was really taking away from our ability to do Sunday morning really well. Yeah. Right. So that yeah. was a soaker.
0: Yep. It was. Well, we could go on and on about that, but it, it, it's a tough one. It's an important one. It's one thing, it's one of the reasons um, that Eaglebrook has grown over the years is because of the value of um, really making sure that that the very few things that we do are done with excellence and focus and we don't spread ourselves too thin. It's been something I've really admired about this church. But let's move on to the third killer, Dale. What's Uh the third killer?
2: That's when you bury your resources. And this is really about fear. And and I think it's what fear is keeping us from doing what God has called us to do. So I love the parable of the, the talents or the bags of silver, you know, the master's going away And one guy gets five bags, another servant gets two bags, and the last one gets one bag. Um, And the expectation is, make this grow. I'm going to go away, I'm going to come back, and I want to see it grow. Um, And, you know, the the five-bagger turned it into ten ten bags, the two-bagger turned it into four. But the one-bagger was afraid to lose because he was afraid of his master, so he buried it in a field And then when the master came back, he went and dug it up and he brought back the one bag of silver and said, here it is. I kept it safe. And it was, you wicked, lazy person. You know, Jesus gets really harsh in the story. Yeah, he does. And he says, take this one bag and give it to the guy with 10 bags. Um, Because first of all, it's not fair. He, He does it according to our abilities. And through the years I've, I used to think of this as, Dale, what talents did the Lord give you? But now I think of it as the local church. You're the local church. What has God given you? What resources do you have? And he does not want you to be safe. He wants you to invest. He wants you to take risks. And so we we kind of have a, a saying around here that we love a big challenge that requires big faith because it gets big results. And so we're trying to multiply whatever God has given us. Uh, we want to see more and more people come to faith in Jesus Christ. We're going to plant more locations as we need to, and we're going to we're going to explore every option we have to expand the kingdom of God.
0: Yeah, that story, the parable of talents, always been <laughs> hard for me to read, and I've been chewing on it recently, actually and and thinking about it more and more because it seems like Jesus being really harsh you know that he's being really this isn't this isn't the compassionate empathetic Jesus that I think about but the villain in the story is the person who simply played it safe the villain in the story is not the people who took risks even failed as they took risks and of course we hear the success they doubled it but along the way you know there's they take chances and some of those things fail, and I'm upset with those people. He's just upset with the people who just took the resource given to him and didn't do anything with them at right. all and and then the more I've chewed on that, the more I realize that's actually one of the most compassionate things you can do to someone yeah. It's like go for it, take chances, dream, follow where I'm leading you um take those risks, take those chances, but the last thing you should do is just hide it in the sand and play it safe right. it's like That's actually kind of fun (laughs) to think about. (laughs) Risky, (laughs) right, but it's more risky, more wicked to just bury it in the sand. I don't know. Don, any thoughts?
1: No, I agree. I mean, and even coming out of the COVID season that we are, I mean, it was very tempting to just bury the resources and kind of hold the fort. Let's wait till this thing passes. And there were numerous decisions we had even in the beginning, like, let's not, we can't make that decision on Zoom. We can't make that decision digitally or in this season. And eventually, when we realized we were doing this as long as we're going to do it, we did make decisions to move personnel around. We actually opened our 10th location, you know, all in the season of kind of hunker down. And I'm grateful we did. I mean, and, you know, we've talked a little bit about Ham Lake. There was you know, already over a thousand people that are attending
2: that site. So thankful that we took the risk. Right. I'll ask I'll ask church leaders, you know, what's the big fear facing you? And some of it is they're afraid of a certain a family in their congregation. Uh, they don't want to offend them because they'll stop giving. Or politically, this other person has a lot of power over the pastor. So they're afraid of that. Uh, the heartbreaker for me was one pastor said, I'm just afraid of all the work it would create if we had to work on Saturday night and Sunday morning. So he was afraid of the work. Yeah. And and I, I just really say, you know, it requires grit to be a pastor and that's work. So everything, Don, you were talking about, it requires work. Oh, yeah. So then I I I make a big challenge to all these churches of pray boldly for 20% growth. And then your goal should be to lead 10% of your average attendance to Christ that year. And so if you're a church of uh, 400 people, in 10 years, you would be a church of 2,476 people. And you would have led 1,244 people to faith in Christ. That's awesome. So, you know, don't just hunker down and bury your resources, but let's go reach 1,200 people for Christ. Yeah. That's great.
1: Well, John, you want to review
0: where we've been? Yeah. Why not? The Why first not? three, a- when there's no compelling vision, when everything is important, and when you bury your resources. First three. So moving on to four. What's the fourth?
2: It's when you have the wrong front door. Um And it, simply put, it's... You have to see your church and the experience through the eyes of an unchurched person. And I think Eaglebrook has been so good at that. We're so careful to make this an inviting, safe place for an unchurched person just to come and check it out. Uh, but most churches, you know, 80% of the churches in America, they're plateaued or declining in attendance. And I tell you, here's their front door. Do you believe what we believe? And do you behave the way we behave at this church? And do you talk about Jesus in the right ways? And if you do, now you can join our fellowship. And the problem is my neighbor doesn't know what to believe. Right. Because he doesn't go to church. And so he's trying to be a good guy, but um, he doesn't understand all this stuff. And he doesn't understand the theology and what Jesus did. He's heard of Jesus, but he's just trying to be a good person, but he can't. He, I guess, he's never been to a church that was worth an invitation, and so I think we've done a great job of really looking through the eyes uh, of an unchurched person, and and I would say Bob Merritt really led the way on that. Yeah,
1: yeah, I think that's so true that we we believe that every weekend somebody's coming for the first time, absolutely, and, and not just that person, but it's somebody that another attender has been praying about, thinking about working up the courage to invite them to come to church. And this is the weekend that they're finally gonna walk through the door. Well, let's make sure that they feel comfortable. Let's make sure that we disarm any of those uh, things that might make somebody feel distant or out of place at a church. And so you're right, that's been front of our focus all the way through. Yeah,
2: 30 years that's been that. Yeah. I always tell uh, leaders that uh, people don't invite to average. So if you have an average church experience, Uh, your congregation won't invite their neighbors and friends. So it's got to be excellent. It's got to be worth an invitation. And you got to watch out for churchy language. You know, it's always interesting to me how uh, Don and I can be just talking and then he goes to pray and all of a sudden he's praying in the King James Version. Not not Don
0: specifically. (laughs) Not Don, yeah.
2: (laughs) But yeah, you got to get rid of churchy language. You, You don't do weird things to new people. Like make them stand up. So everybody in the church can stare at them. Or this business of before you sit down, go around and greet three people. You know That makes new people very uncomfortable. So be excellent. The message has to be excellent. The music has to be excellent. The kids ministry. And I would even say the facilities. If you really want to push me, I would say they're on your website before they come to your building. So how excellent is your, your website? And then the parking team too. They're the first people they see.
1: Yeah, and the reason we we strive for excellence in those areas isn't so that we're seen, you know, it's so that God is seen because we feel like if they're not in the right place, there'll be distractions. And so let's have all those things so that it just kind of sets the table for God to
2: do what only he can do. Right.
1: All right, Dale, keep us going on to number five. What's the
2: fifth killer? That's when you have the wrong people on your team. Okay. Um, And I, I, I like to say, don't get seduced by talent. Uh, sometimes you can be so seduced by somebody's resume that you you push them through the hiring process and now they're on your team. And then you find out they don't fit the culture of our church at all. And <clears throat> so it's not like they can't do their job. It's just like the way they think, the way they interact, the ideas they come up with. Um, they don't fit our vision culture. They don't fit our hedgehog. Uh, and then we have five uh, staff commitments that are like attributes. Um, and they don't fit into that. So, you know, it, it's, I remember being frustrated many years ago. And I, I just was like, I'm tired of all these people coming on our staff. And then they start to pet our cat backwards. And it's just irritating. <laughs> and so, how can this godly person who's skilled at their work be so irritating? And it's really because they haven't fit into the DNA of Eagle Brook Church. And I think we've learned that those attributes are more important than their skill level to get on the team. And so we've kind of blown up our whole hiring process to make sure we get after, do they have a good cultural fit with us? And then we wanted to have more uh, eyes. We want more people involved in the interview process. So what do you think? Was there like 20 people that are involved in the hiring process now?
0: More. More yeah, than that? 30. Yeah, 30. <laughs> and it's so we're... Es- yeah, it's yeah. extensive.
2: And these are some of our best employees that are putting their eyes and providing feedback for whoever is hiring. And then we, we can go, okay, this is somebody who would come in here and own our mission. This is somebody who knows how to live wisely. And they're going to lead boldly and they're going to help us make things better because we're, we I think you said this, Don... Uh, We crave feedback. You know, we're a high feedback culture. And so if you don't crave feedback, you're not going to fit. And then finally, they got to be able to come in here and be committed to loving other teammates, whether it's the volunteers
0: or the staff. But um, I just think it's been so important to get the right people on the team. What would you say to someone who's maybe listening to this and thinking, well, as I take an assessment of my people, I've got some people who aren't, quite the right people on the team? I mean, how does someone lead through that? Well, what we do at Eaglebrook is we differentiate.
2: <clears throat> we started with, um, you know, who's green? They're a real strong contributor. Who's yellow? And yellow people are either greens who've slipped a little bit and they need some improvement, or they're brand new people. And they just, they're getting to know their jobs. So um, they can be yellow for a while, but we don't want people to stay yellow. And then, you know, we have around 400 people on our staff, and there might be two people that are red. And these guys, they either have to be retrained, uh, repositioned within the organization, or they just have to be removed. Hmm. Um, But we have a heart to develop people so that they can be a strong contributor. And then recently, we even created a blue column of uh, These are the people who are real superstars. They're probably the next ones to be promoted. Um, when we launch a campus, you know, it's going to be a blue person who's going to be a campus pastor. Um, and so we created that program called Accelerate. And they're assigned to one of the leadership team people. And we actually put a plan of development together that's, uh, I would say, customized to who that person is and what we want to see them do. Uh, but we we lean into it. We want to help those blues uh, become the future big leaders at Eaglebrook Church. Well said. Yeah.
1: I think the only thing I'll add is just one of the attributes I've learned that is prevailing for a successful staff member is teachability. Oh. You know, like so many things, if they can be taught. And that's where the feedback thing comes in. I was The reason I was just thinking about that as I visited Rochester on Sunday and Sunday night in my inbox is one of the pastors saying I know you observed me doing these things can I please have some feedback right that's pretty cool yep that you have a staff member that reaches out and initiates that and I sent a pretty lengthy you know mostly all positive but here's a few things to work on and then she wrote back right away just saying how grateful she was this is a bucket filler you know who would think feedbacks a bucket yeah. filler but that's the kind of culture we have and she just wants to get better and I'm just grateful that we have that kind of culture where we want to learn from each other and grow. Yeah. Anything else, John? No, that's great. On to number six. Yeah. What's six?
2: That's when you fail to manage the fridge. Mm. Uh, I've been using that term for decades now, but, um, it reminds me of that feeling when you open your refrigerator door and you just get a whiff of something's not right. And because you're busy, you close the door and you ignore it. Excuse me. And, um, so, you, you know, it happened to me. I had a rotten orange in my fridge, and, but I, it took me five days to go hunting for it. And by the time I found it, it stunk so bad that I had to clean the fruit drawer in the fridge. I had to take the trash out of the house. I had to rewash all the other oranges. And, you know, here's the message. It's like, um, just deal with this stuff right away because it's less mess, less stink, and less work. So I always ask leaders, what stinks in your world these days? Uh, and you just got to have the guts to get up and go deal with it.
0: Yeah, leadership is hard work. And I think about this one a lot um, because there's a part of me, I'm we've used a lot of colors recently, but in the four temperaments, I'm green. Uh, and green means I want there to be harmony and for yeah. people to get along. And can't we just all get along? And And uh, it's really hard for me to have those crucial conversations. And I've just learned the hard way, the sooner that I can lean into it, the sooner I deal with what's stinking in my fridge, the better off I'm going to be and everyone else is going to be. And it took a few lumps along the way to realize – you know, because I didn't say it as clearly as I should or directly as I should, it just continued to stink. <laughs> right. And uh, Don, you use a phrase that you probably used it on this podcast, but it's a phrase of like getting really direct with someone. Of you think it's a three, you know, out of one to ten, it's uh, it's kind of important. I'm telling you, it's an eight or nine. And that's a way to deal with the stink in your fridge. It's right. like you waited or you took you five days to find this orange. Right. But man, as leaders, we got to get after that stink as quickly as possible. Right. I mean, it's our job. One of our jobs as a leader is to to tell someone if their breath stinks. Right. I mean, literally. Right. I've I heard Patrick Glintioni teach that recently. It's like that's that's a hard conversation to have. But if the leader doesn't do it, everyone else going to talk about how bad their breath stinks. I mean, I'm talking literally, their breath stinks. And yeah. our job is the leaders be like, I got to tell you, your breath stinks. Right. That's embarrassing. That's hard. It's but tough. But that's what it takes to, to manage your fridge. Anyways. Yeah, right I, no,
1: I'm similar. I, I just tend to candy coat stuff a little <laughs> bit, you know. We're Not,
0: Minnesotans. I know, we're and we're, right. we're and Christians. We're Christians. <laughs> we're
1: People <in> church.
0: Church. <laughs>
2: it's just like, oh,
1: you can make me make this a little better. And when really what you need to say is don't ever do that again. Yeah. You know, and that clarity can be really hard for me just to say it. But what I found is that it's unkind to be unclear. Yeah, you know that's well. That's, said. It's really yeah. important to be clear. It's actually one of the kindest things you can do because you and, and if they they believe it comes from a point that you want them to win, right. then again it's a bucket filler. Like, yeah. oh, thank you for caring for me. I might even be a little embarrassed, set back by it, but I know you want better for me. And so I'm gonna receive that feedback well. Right. But I think you're right. I tend to it can be easier just to look the other way. I'm kind of busy, someone else will deal with that, or I'm sure they'll make it better next time. But right. but you gotta go after the stink in the fridge.
2: Yeah. And it can be It can be a relationship, it can be job performance, it could be your budget, you know, it's, you've been behind budget, but how many times, how many months in a row are you behind? And so that's, that's something that's starting to stink. It could be your organizational structure. Um, So it just, you just got to have the courage to step into that stuff. So I have two verses that are Really, my, some of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. The first one is Proverbs four twenty three. Guard your vision culture above all else, for it determines the course of your church. <laughs> wow, now that sounds <laughs> yeah. close. That's, right. that's that's the Dale Peterson version. <laughs> yes, yeah. but it's supposed to be guard your heart. Yeah, uh-huh. because it determines the course of your life. But uh, really, if you're in leadership at a church, you're a watchman. And if you see trouble coming, you have to warn people. So guard that vision culture above all else, because if you drift from it, you'll start doing the wrong things. The other one is Proverbs fourteen four: Without oxen, a stable stays clean, but you need a strong ox for a large harvest. So if you want to harvest a lot of souls, you want to lead people to Christ, uh, and have that become a you know a growing number every year, it's going to get messy because people make messes. Oxen leave a stall, very messy. So if you're leading in a church, go get yourself a shovel because you need all those people. You need the mess. The, sh- the mess is actually good for you. So start shoveling the mess, clean up the mess, just manage your fridge because it's never going to go smoothly. It's never easy. You never have a full staff. <laughs> There's always some crisis around the corner. Uh, So that's where leadership just has to manage the fridge.
1: All right, on to number seven, right? Yeah. Here we go, seventh killer, Dale.
2: This is when you think, I got this. Um, It's really dangerous when we become professional church leaders because then we tend to leave leave God out of our work. Um, I just love the story of when Jesus was starting his ministry, he's... Teaching this massive crowd, and uh, they're pressing in on him, and he's right by the Sea of Galilee. And so he talks to this guy named Simon Peter. He says, Hey, can I stand in your boat and finish teaching? So he does all that. In the meantime, Peter's picking away at his net, cleaning it, because he'd been fishing all night, didn't catch anything. But, you know, professional fishermen, that's when they fish, is in the nighttime. And so he was putting everything away. Well, Jesus turns around and says, hey, let's go fishing. Let's push out into deeper water and go fishing. And the professional fisherman in Peter's thinking, this is the wrong time of day. It's the wrong depth. Look at me. I just finished cleaning my nets. He had three good reasons to say no to Jesus. But he was sensitive, I think, to the spirit's leading. And he said, because you said so, I'll do it. And they push out and they throw the nets over and they begin to have the largest catch that Peter's ever seen. The nets begin to tear. They get the fish in the boat. Now the boat is sinking and they're calling out to other fishermen to come and help. And it's just like, when you fish with Jesus, the nets tear. And uh, and so the challenge for us as leaders is to not become so professional and have read so many books about leadership that we stop leaning into the leading of Jesus Christ in our life. I think the Holy Spirit is prompting us all the time. And if I'm too busy, if I'm not in God's word, if I'm not making room to hear God's voice, I'll just become a professional minister.
1: That's good. That's really good. I just think, man, the, the fear of arrogance is something we must all yeah. keep within us because... It, it can be possible to think like, look how things are growing. The numbers appear to be going the right way. I think we got this. But man, that is a dangerous point for any of us to be individually to think that within our job, for sure. For us to think that as an organization, right? And I would say that to any leader listening. You know, if you're if you're falling victim to killer number seven, I got this. Maybe today is a good day to look in the mirror and say, maybe you don't. Maybe I mean, you don't. Yeah. Maybe there's still some things you can grow in. Maybe there's still some things you can get better in. Maybe there's still some humility that God has in you that you can be reaching out to others to grow and get better as a leader.
0: Yeah, such a great charge, Dale. And I just love this content. Um, I do think you should write a book. So I'm going to say that again publicly here. (laughs) A pamphlet at least. But just to summarize, he's got a pamphlet already. He needs a book. But just to summarize, here are the seven. Uh, number one, when there's no compelling vision. These are seven killers of the church. Number two, when everything's important. Number three, when you bury your resources. Number four, when you have the wrong front door. Number five, when you have the wrong people on your team. Six, when you fail to manage your fridge. Seven, when you think, I got this. These are just fantastic leadership and church and ministry principles. But Dale, um, leave us with some final comments on what you're most excited about. These are the seven killers, and you gave some ways to combat those killers, but is there hope for the church? What do you see as the future of the church here?
2: Yeah, the hope I see is uh, churches that stay true to the purpose and mission. Like, I love my neighbor because God loves my neighbor, and so I'm going to do everything I can to help them find Jesus, and then we're going to lead a church that's easy to invite to. Uh, churches that are taking that kind of focused approach, they're thriving, they're growing, <clears throat> excuse me, they're doing multiple services. Um, a lot of them are going into multi-site. Uh, and so I just, I would say to every church leader, keep your church focused on the Great Commission. Uh, why? Because God loves them. Yeah. And when you do that, then everything just starts to grow. And <clears throat> so what we're seeing is because of online church, more and more uh, groups of people, we call them viewing sites, they're gathering together in somebody's living room or in somebody's office space, and they're they're getting their community from 15, 25 people, but they're they're engaged with Eagle Brook Church. Eagle Brook is their church, but they might be in Alexandria, Minnesota. And uh, they've got their community, they've got small group now. Jeff Dodge is their pastor. Uh, but they don't want to view a screen by themselves, so they're gathering together. And <clears throat> it's everything from, you know, like uh, in Wisconsin, we have the Booze Bar in <laughs> Knapp,
0: Wisconsin. Yeah, before you go further, Don, you were just there. Uh, yeah, what was A that couple like? of weeks ago, a month, and we're going to be showing our church. I mean, tell us about that experience, because it's a viewing group in yep. Nap, Wisconsin, Booze Bar. Tell us about your experience there. Oh, well, such a highlight.
1: And, you know, they've been doing this for not quite a year, but I'm going to say seven, eight months, that during COVID, the bar was shut down. This is in Nap, Wisconsin, all of 637 population. (laughs) And uh, a guy named Jeremy who owns the bar said, what if, you know, since we're closed, would we ever be able to open up on a Monday, not serve alcohol and just put up on the screens, supper and a sermon, they call it. And they'll (laughs) bring in some food or have somebody make something. And essentially people just throw in a goodwill donation and uh, they show the service on the screen. And we heard about this, and I've seen some Facebook posts about this. And I, I just, every time I just kind of chuckle at what's happening in NAP, Wisconsin, I usually send you the picture because it's just, I don't know why. I, I, I'm just so fascinated by this. So yeah, just a couple of weeks ago, Jason Strand and I and a few other people went. And uh, when Jason walks in the door, the room, the room was totally full. The bar is totally full. They erupt as he walks in the door. And you know he goes around and greets everybody. And then eventually the uh, they turn off the lights and they turn on, and I didn't expect this. They all stand up and they all sang out as loud as possible. And the, the building got overtaken in worship. And it was so powerful to be in the back of that room as this bar in Nap, Wisconsin is worshiping with all their hearts, fully listened to the whole message. And then there was this great community afterward and I'm just so grateful I got to see it. And I think what we're talking about is that could be the future.
2: That could be the future.
1: This could be something that happens in other places. I do
2: think this is going to be a way to breathe life back into the rural church. Yeah. Uh, because of the church out in the countryside, uh, it's barely surviving. And they've lost a whole generation of people. Uh, so I, I can see viewing sites like this popping up all over the place. And... Um, they don't even have to be owned and operated by Eagle Brook. They're just Eagle Brook attenders who this is the way they're choosing to connect with the church. I think it's beautiful. It's Great. awesome.
0: Well, again, I just love this conversation. Any final thoughts from either of you that you want to yeah, share?
2: Yeah, I, I I I just think it's really important that you don't replace your relationship with the Lord with your church work. It's so easy to kind of let that slip. And So I wrote down a couple of things that I just wanted to make sure I shared with everybody. But leaders who spend time with God have the advantage of being trained by him. And they gain God's perspective. So they they grow in godly wisdom. So time in God's presence will gradually increase my wisdom and it influences my thoughts, my actions, and the decisions I make. So it's so important for us
0: to not replace my relationship with Jesus with my work in the church. So well said. Such a good final thought. Well, thanks, Dale. Thanks, Don, for the conversation. I'll be re-listening to this because again, I just love this content. I love the teaching. It's great reminders. I've heard it before, but there's always something new that stands out to me. And uh, even that final charge was really moving to me. So thanks for joining us. Um, That's all we got for this episode of the Eagleburg Church Leadership Podcast. And we love it. If you would subscribe to wherever you listen to this at, whether it's on Apple or Google or Spotify and and leave a review, let us know uh, your thoughts on the podcast. We just really appreciate you joining us. When leaders get better, the church gets better. So thanks for joining us and we'll see you for the next episode of the Uber Church Leadership Podcast.